Welcome, welcome, welcome to After the Bell. I am still Corey Graves. We are on the eve of WWE Fastlane. It goes down tomorrow night, streaming live WWE on Peacock, live from Indianapolis, Indiana. And of course, to help you navigate the road to Indy, my co-captain, as always, the fighting Irishman, KP, Kevin Patrick. What is the good word this morning? What's the crack, fella? Honestly, bud, there's no rest right now. There is no break. This thing keeps moving forward at unprecedented pace because No Mercy was a spectacular. Fast lane on the horizon. Raw and SmackDown continue to wow us each and every week. We've got a lot to get to, bud. No kidding. We've got a ton to get to. We've got Tommaso Ciampa joining the show for the very first time in just a matter of moments. But KP, I got to ask before we dive into all things WWE, I'm noticing again, as will all of our <laughs> ATB faithful who are joining on YouTube, the WWE official YouTube channel. Where in the hell are you this week? I'm in Boston this week. It's a tribute to Ciampa. You know, I wanted to check out the city here in Beantown, you know, learn a little more about Tommaso Ciampa before we have him here on the show. I'm at my sister's house, Gravy. I'm working. I'm doing a, uh, a soccer match here in this area tonight. So I'm up in the Boston region tonight. Look at this. No rest for the weary. KP, a man of the people, making the <laughs> trips, making the travel, keeping y'all informed. But KP, we are 24 hours away, roughly, if you are listening to this, as you should, as it drops Fridays, wherever you get your podcast. I want to run through the card real quick, see what catches your attention most. We've got the announcement of the WWE Undisputed Tag Team Championships being defended. Valor and Priest of the Judgment Day defending against Cody Rhodes and Jey Uso. Real quick, KP, do Cody and Jey have what it takes to coexist on such a level that they can dethrone the champs? No. No, I, I don't think so at all. I, and, and I think there's certain doubts that have been thrown out there on Monday Night Raw about Cody's relationship with Jay. I just don't think it's fully there yet at all. And I think they're going to be totally and utterly exposed against the well-oiled machine of the Judgment Day. What do you think? I think it's hard to argue with your assessment. I think the sentimental favorites, obviously the fan favorites are going to be Jay and Cody, but the Judgment Day as a unit just doing the Lord's work right now. We saw Dirty Dom recapture the NXT North American Championship mm -hmm. just days after losing it. Oh, he's a lucky Mercy. boy that he did as well. Mommy wasn't too happy on Raw. Not very thrilled. Luckily, there seems to be peace within the Mysterio Ripley household at the moment, but we shall see how that develops, of course. We have the colossal announcement. Big-time six-man tag team match. We've got the LWO squaring off against Bobby Lashley and the Street Profits. We've got a triple threat for the WWE Women's Championship as EO Sky defends against two old rivals in Asuka and the Queen Charlotte Flair. Massive tag team matchup. John Cena joining forces with the red-hot defiant one LA Knight against Jimmy Uso and Solo. I'll ask you again. Almost the exact same question as I did about the tag champs. Do LA Knight and John Cena stand a chance? Yes. Against the well-oiled... Really? Yes. You didn't even let me finish the question yes. you're saying. Yes, you. yes, yes. In fact, yeah, because, look, they're irresistible right now. When LA Knight came out to support John Cena toward the end, our jaws dropped to the floor. The atmosphere, unbelievable. And when, when you get someone as red-hot as LA Knight is right now, and then you bring in the greatest of all time alongside him, they're going to squash him. I don't see any doubt in this one whatsoever. What about you? Listen, it's hard to disagree with you. And the fan in me is excited to see what Cena and LA Knight can produce as a team. But what's looming large over this entire picture is the inevitable return of mm -hmm. the tribal chief. We know Roman will be back soon. We know 
that Jimmy does not at least appear outwardly to be back within the good graces of Roman Reigns. We know Solo, of course, still the right-hand man of the Tribal Chief, uh, pun intended, because Jay has sort of separated himself from that. But Roman's coming back, and you've got this high-profile matchup where, to me, it is almost do or die for Jimmy Uso and Solo because you do not want the Tribal Chief to come back to Friday Night SmackDown or even Monday Night Raw, wherever he so chooses, and not be able to present him with this token of goodwill. Hey, look what we did while you were gone, Roman. We took out the greatest of all time and the hottest superstar in the game right now. I think it truly is do or die for Solo and, more importantly, Jimmy Uso. This, to me, could be the last opportunity Jimmy has to get back in the good graces. And where he sits right now, sort of teetering. Yes, we've seen Jimmy growing in confidence, growing almost boisterous at times, acting a little bit more like Roman than I would assume Roman would like Jimmy to be acting. Uh, But I also think that if Jimmy and Solo pull it off, it's as close to a clean slate as they're going to get as pertains to Roman's point of view. You know, the, the curious aspect to this for me is Solo, because I'm still not totally convinced that Solo's bought in with his own brother yet. And there are moments when Paul Heyman shows that clear level of hesitation toward what Jimmy's doing, when Jimmy rips a microphone out of Paul Heyman's hand. We're not seeing that too often. And Solo's kind of caught in the middle here. And I'm intrigued to see which way this goes against such a dominant force in John Cena and the wave of momentum that everybody's riding with LA Knight. Like, Solo can't skip a beat. So if there's any level of hesitation there with his own flesh and blood, it'll cost him. And I just wonder, will it cost him in the eyes of the Tribal Chief, like you've mentioned as well? So that, that for me, is probably the most fascinating match heading into Fastlane. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Technique with Tom. Slicing an English muffin with a butter blade? Boulder Dash. Just pull apart with your hands and marvel in the nooks and crannies splendor. For each one is unique like a snowflake. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear. Especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it you can work out in it. You can go outside, you can go shopping down in your local wherever and you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. It's hard to disagree with you, KP. Fascinating, certainly an apropos descriptor for that matchup, as it is for the main event, last man standing. One more opportunity for Shinsuke Nakamura to dethrone Seth freaking Rollins. The last man standing match, in my experience, one of my favorite match types within the WWE universe. They're always extremely dramatic. They're always exciting. They're always heavy hitting. You see people get really, really creative. It's tough to keep your opponent down for the officials count of 10. Rollins, is his back going to hold up, KP? First and foremost, that's what I need to know. Seth Rollins, a friend of mine, a man who notoriously plays his cards close to the vest. We know Rollins' back 
is in jeopardy. We know it's not 100%. Mm -hmm. Above all, Shinsuke Nakamura knows that. Shin has done a great job of exploiting it in the past. Can Rollins hang on to his gold? <sighs> this is tricky. This is really tough because we know how bad Rollins' back is. You know, we're, we talk to him at Monday Night Raw when we're there, you know, and we're there every week speaking with him about it. And it's not in a great way at all, Gravy. And when Michael Cole was in that ring with Seth Rollins and Cole had this genuine way about him where he looked at Seth and said, what are you doing, man? And it was like, what are you doing? Because I know you. I know you and I know your wife and I know your daughter and I know your family and I know what that means to you. You've got a lot of life yet to live. And yet you're going to go out here in a last man standing match against someone as twisted and sadistic as Shinsuke Nakamura and that side of Shinsuke that we've seen lately. What are you doing? And Seth's response for me, like it made me want to watch it again and again because he screams love. The love that he has for both WWE and professional wrestling seeps through his pores. When he said to Michael Cole, let me put, turn it back on you. And he said, how long have you been doing this? And Cole said, 26 years. How many shows have you missed? And Cole realized in that moment where Seth was going. And Cole said, two. And he said, see, you love this. You're obsessed with this. You're addicted to this. And then he said, this ring has given me everything. And he talked about his family, talked about meeting his wife. He talked about his entire life and, and the riches that he's earned through this sacred ring. And he said, this is me. And this is where I will give everything. And my family will only respect me where I want to be respected if I put it all out there. So for Seth Rollins, there's no turning back. There never is any other option for the visionary. And that's why for me, I think there's only one outcome here. And I think Seth retains. So I agree with a lot of your assessments. I agree with the point Seth was attempting to make by asking Michael Cole that question. The biggest difference being Michael Cole has not been an in-ring competitor, let alone the world heavyweight champion. Whoa, he's going to disagree with you there. He's got a 100% record at Mania. Of, he's got a, a handful of victories that he reminds us about on a <laughs> weekly basis. I get it. No disrespect to Cole and his in-ring acumen. However, this is Rollins functioning at the top of Monday Night Raw as the face of the brand right now, as the world heavyweight champion, a title that he has made his mission to elevate, to be looked upon in the same light as Roman Reigns' championship. And Seth has done a great job of doing that. But Seth's body ultimately needs a break. Yeah. It is not going to get better. His back has been broken or damaged for a long time, and it continues to get worse, even if it's only incrementally. So let's say Rollins does somehow get past Shinsuke Nakamura at Fastlane. Let's say Rollins manages to hang on to the championship for another month or two. Eventually, the human anatomy can only take so much. Would Rollins rather have to relinquish the championship because he needs to get back surgery or because his body is saying, listen, we love what you're doing right now, but you can't do it anymore physically for the time being. Would Rollins prefer to to give up the championship so he has to go away, does that really elevate anything? Does that help? To me, it just sort of muddies the waters. Well, the champion never really lost the title. Here's the interim champion. I, I hate when they do it in mixed martial arts, the whole interim championship. Um, I, I think, to me, it's one of the biggest disappointments in the business when a champion has to just relinquish the title. Yeah. And I know Seth Rollins, for as deeply passionate as he is about this game, Rollins, I think, would hate, 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 hate worse than anything in the world to have to just give up his championship. I think Seth would sleep better at night knowing he was beaten for his championship than he would to have to give it up 
should this injury continue to devolve? And, and again, I'm no doctor, I'm no athletic trainer, but the human body is the human body. Even if we are WWE superstars, even if Seth is one of the most elite athletes in any sport around the world, Seth's days are limited from a physical health perspective, in my opinion. Shinsuke Nakamura is riding a wave of momentum. We've seen how devious, how sadistic Shinsuke can be. Again, it's that sort of return to form from the old King of Strong style, back from his days in Japan, that just almost disturbing. What's changed, Brady? What's changed with Shinsuke? Shinsuke's remembered who he is. Shinsuke has been allowed and permitted, and Shinsuke sort of let the WWE Universe roll off of his back. Do you want to come with me? Cool. If you don't, I'm going to do what brought me to the dance. That is why we are seeing the best Shinsuke Nakamura that we've seen in the United States, in my opinion, in his career. I think Nakamura is ready. I think Nakamura is capable of. I think it should be somewhat exciting to think of the prospect of Shinsuke defending his championship against all these different competitors and, and opponents. This may be a bit of a hot take, although it should not be. Shinsuke Nakamura dethrones Seth freaking Rollins for the World Heavyweight Championship at Fastlane Saturday night. That's how I see it playing. I'm not saying I like it. I'm not saying I'm hoping that's how it works out. I'm saying the analyst in me who has sat here and watched way too much wrestling over the years and thinking of the long term, the future, Seth's own words is how Seth is excited about the future of the business, where the business is as a whole right now. It's red hot. He loves riding the momentum. But I want Seth here five years from now. I want Seth to still be that guy who can pass on the knowledge. And again, I'm not implying he's finished, but I know it would be a lot harder pill for Seth to swallow to have to give up his championship for any reason other than being defeated in the ring. Gravy, I'm seeing something in your face and I'm hearing something in your voice that's a little bit different here. You're genuinely concerned about a fella that you go way back with here in Seth Rollins. Sure. I am, and this isn't a sense that, oh, well, he's got a bad knee. What if the opponent exploits the bad knee? He's got a bad back. Nakamura has been very open and honest that your back is going to be your downfall. Seth has cheated fate a few times in the past. How long can this role stay going? I mean, if you're Rollins, again, Rollins wants to be the workhorse. His passion is almost his biggest obstacle in this situation. Rollins... As much as he loves to talk about, I don't have that Roman Reigns schedule. Rollins likes to show up every night and defend the title regularly and be boots on the ground as much as possible. He wants to be that true leader. But guess what? When Roman Reigns shows up to defend his championship, Roman is always at peak physical condition. Yep. Yep. Roman is always 110% because he's had time to recover. He's had time to train proper, pr- properly. After a grueling battle, if something's nagging, Roman has learned over the years to take care of his body, to keep himself in peak physical condition. And we've shown that seems to be the, the secret formula for Roman. Seth has tried to do the opposite, but maybe Seth should take a note out of the Tribal Chiefs book in this, this instance. Gravy, you've been there. You're someone who was not medically clear to compete. You weren't able to go there. Look, like I said, I'm hearing something different from you here. If you had any advice, if Seth came to you and said, what do you think? What would you say to him? Uh, Seth is a guy, and listen, I'm not naive enough to think that I could change anything this close to a battle. Rollins is locked in. Seth is already preparing for last man standing like only Seth Rollins can prepare. I wouldn't be foolish enough to think I could even change his mind this close. I would say, hey, Seth, should you survive Nakamura at Fastlane? Maybe pump the brakes a little bit. 
maybe listen to your body not the wwe universe because the fans are going to clamor and i don't mean that as a negative it's not the fans fault it's seth's will to be the best it's seth's desire his passion his obsession with being the absolute best in the business and again sometimes and i can speak firsthand your body doesn't cooperate with your brain your brain's going i'm fine i can do more i can keep fighting but your body's going no man no that's not the case i lived it I was ready to get cleared, and all of a sudden, the doctor said, hey, listen, the scans don't look like something we want to see. You're out. And then all of a sudden, it wasn't, hey, take two months off and get healthy. It was, Graves, sorry, you're medically disqualified. You can't do this anymore. Why not take the moment, if you're Rollins, or anybody on the roster for that matter, and realize, listen, this isn't 1988 anymore. If you get hurt and you miss an event, you're, you're not going to get kicked out on the street. It's not like you're not going to be able to feed your family. We are professional athletes these days with the performance center, all the the athletic trainers and the different regimens we have. I think it's high time. And I think the business has done a great job of evolving. That is more the norm now. It's not like it used to be. I mean, the business as a whole has evolved and changed for the better, for the health and talent of our, of our competitors, of the crew, anybody who needs it. Right. But it's a lot easier in my mind to cope with, Hey, I'm going to miss the next month or I'm going to miss the next pay-per-view because my back is just short of disintegrating and I'm going to get myself healthy and pick up where I left off rather than running it till the wheels fall off. But then again, there's a reason Seth freaking Rollins is world heavyweight champion and old Corey Graves never has been. No, that's not, (laughs) that's not fair. Mentality. I'm, I'm not, I hate to bet against my friend and one of my favorites. I just think that if there is a time for a big seismic shift in WWE, Nakamura is the hot hand right now and Shinsuke can get it done and make for very interesting and compelling matchups and events on the road to WrestleMania. You know what it reminds me a little bit of? Right before the Hell in a Cell match with Rollins and Cody and the the peck is torn away from Cody's body and on becoming Cody Rhodes on Peacock, Brandy, his wife, says, I looked at him and I said, you got to do it. Get out there. And I'm sitting there watching this documentary thinking, what? Your own wife is saying, go, do it. And you can be sure Becky Lynch is probably saying the same thing. I was going to say, I, I can't think we, I, I wouldn't assume we can rely on uh, Seth's <laughs> wife to give him any different advice because she'd be doing the same thing. Speaking of Becky Lynch, the injury that she sustained oh, man. in the Extreme Rules match <laughs> at No Mercy was one of the most gruesome, gnarliest. I looked at the photo when she posted it on social media, and I've got a pretty strong stomach. I used to work on an ambulance, for God's sake. I've seen some pretty gnarly things in my day. But seeing that wound just made me cringe. It was absolutely horrible to look at. But it was all as a result of a banger of a main event to cap off an incredible night in Bakersfield, California at NXT No Mercy. KP, I know you were traveling, you were you were loaded up with other obligations, but oh, I, I sent you it. a text yeah. to make sure that you experienced No Mercy. Before I dive into my opinion on things, what were your takeaways from NXT's premium live event? So just to let people in behind the curtain a little bit, the word you used with me over a text message was fun. And that was exactly it. It was the overall experience from the, you know, the backstage antics that went on. The matches were just great. They were absolutely brilliant all throughout. I thought, I thought Mellow Dragunov, for me, for me was the best. 
that, that like and it was brilliant that we had Dragunov on just a few days earlier like we're not proof we, we we have no idea which way these matches are going to go and who's going to get the victory when it's all said and done but to have Dragunov and to see him become champion a few days removed from him telling us his story I thought was really special uh, for you and I and for the listeners of After the Bell quite honestly but the overall experience the match itself we knew would be a banger but the, the build-up the 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 introduction of Mello, I thought, with the jerseys and the way he entered, just felt big time. It felt huge and important and enormous and something I wanted to be part of. I totally agree with you, and I urge anyone who missed the Ilya Dragunov interview last week here on ATB, head into the archives, check it out. Yeah. He is a fascinating human being. Notice I'm not saying he's a fascinating sports entertainer. He's not a just a fascinating NXT superstar. He is a fascinating human being with an incredible story, and it all makes sense now knowing that he leads the charge as NXT champion. My biggest takeaway, KP, wasn't a particular match, although there were no shortage of incredible moments. I was actually tweeting about the show, or X. I'm sorry, I keep... Elon's so what do we, so so what do we call it, though? Is it an we X? Call it X. It's called X. But, the, but a tweet, though. What's the, what's the comparison for a tweet? I, I, I don't know. An is it X an X? Message? Uh, it's an X. It's I don't know what it is. Sounds Maybe filthy. The world moves yeah. way too fast for for my old brain these days. Uh, but I was I was tweeting throughout the night because I was genuinely engaged. I was enjoying it. I was sitting on my couch watching the the show happen, and I couldn't help but draw a few comparisons to an NXT event of old. That being the first Takeover Brooklyn, and I was lucky enough to be in the house for the first Brooklyn event. Of course, the classic matchup between Bailey and Sasha Banks, one of the greatest women's matches of all time. Uh, I mean, it was an incredible card, but it was the atmosphere, the vibe, the way it looked visually on TV, the energy you could feel from the competitors top to bottom, from the grandiose entrances to the performance from Braun Breaker and Baron Corbin yeah. beating the living piss out of one another. Absolute brutality. All the way to the closing moments of the main event. It felt very much to me like NXT has finally found its new identity. Yeah. And I mean that in a sense that there was the original, right? My crew with Rollins and Reigns and Bray and, and Sammy. All the way through those first, I would say, two takeover events, which by that point, Sammy and Kevin and Shinsuke and Finn and, and all of the who's who had started to sort of arrive in NXT. But at that point, NXT arguably was the hottest brand in the business, more so than Raw or SmackDown. It just had this very intriguing vibe about it where people were going, I don't even know what's happening. I don't even know who half these people are, but I'm going to watch this. And what No Mercy felt like to me was the entire roster stepping up and saying, all right, here we are. This is who we are. When everybody says we are NXT, it's difficult to know exactly what that means because more often than not, the superstars that you see on Raw or SmackDown have passed through those doors. But it felt like a very strong, standalone, branded event saying, you know what? We know you're going to watch Raw. We know you're going to watch SmackDown. Here's why you can't miss NXT. And again, we've talked about it a lot about how Becky Lynch has been good for the brand from an eyeballs perspective to, to draw viewership. And Becky and Tiffany Stratton tore it up. And again, like we talked about last week, one person goes over, two people get over. No one thinks less of Tiffany Stratton in the wake of No Mercy. Who's going to be the next to step up and challenge Becky Lynch? It looks like Lyra Valkyria already waiting in the wings for that opportunity. 
but top to bottom, every match felt different. Every match felt special. That tag team fatal four-way match, my God, yeah. Lincoln, you missed it. <laughs> that was a car crash from start to finish in the best possible way. I watched that entire event from start to finish, and when it ended, I was excited. I wanted more, and it made me excited for the future of our business, of our company, of the NXT brand, because it finally feels like they have an identity past the last generation to me that was identifiable that being the quote-unquote black and gold era where you had your johnny gargano yep. and you had adam cole and you had tommaso mm -hmm. champa who we're going to be talking to in a matter of moments it just felt like a very definable okay now we know who the players are now we know who bears the flag for this brand top to bottom everybody stepped up nobody swung and missed it was an incredible night, an incredible event, and much like the podcast, I'm going to back promote it. For some reason, you're listening to this and you didn't get eyes on NXT No Mercy. Make plans to do so. Make I don't care if you have to stay up late when the kids go to bed or if you have to wake up an extra couple hours early before you go to work. It is a must-see event from start to finish. It was a star-making night for numerous competitors, and to me, it was just a very, very big reason to be very excited about NXT going forward. Oh, and by the way, just in case No Mercy wasn't big enough for you, it wasn't hot enough for you, KP, do you have any idea what's going on at NXT this coming Tuesday? Oh, let's just see. There's a little fella called John Cena showing up, and Paul Heyman's going to be on the other side of the ring. Oh, the Empress of Tomorrow's going to be there, Oscar, and anyone else come to mind, Gravy? Cody freaking yeah. <laughs> All on NXT this coming Tuesday. I cannot wait to see what all the fuss is about. And again, this is another opportunity like it was when Becky first showed up. There are going to be a lot of new eyeballs this coming Tuesday on NXT, period. You've got the greatest of all time. You've got Cody Rhodes, who is you know one of, if not the most popular superstar in WWE right now. You've got the Empress of Tomorrow, Asuka, who very well may be WWE yep. Women's Champion mm -hmm. when she rolls into Orlando on Tuesday. Oh, and Paul Heyman, who as polarizing as Heyman can be, you can't discount the value that Paul Heyman brings to any show he's on. And and what could this mean? Is Braun, is Braun Breaker going to be the next Paul Heyman guy? Maybe. Is Paul Heyman down there scouting for new talent? Is Roman Reigns scouting for new talent? Who knows what could happen after this coming Tuesday on NXT? So a couple of things real quick. One, we praise Seth Rollins for elevating the World Heavyweight Championship. Am I right in saying that in this current wave of major mega WWE superstars that have headed down to NXT, Rollins started this? Rollins, it feels sure. to me like in the last few months, Rollins was the one originally to say, right, I'm going down to NXT first. And, and look who's followed since then. Now you've got John Cena heading to NXT on Tuesday night, which is wild to me. Second point. It's a great feeling, Gravy, when you and I sit at the bar after a show, we have a drink, and often we'll say, who stands out to you and why? Like, which upcoming player here do you feel has legs? And both you and I sat at a bar probably eight, nine, ten months ago, and we spoke about Trick Williams and what he offers and, and how much of a talent we feel he is. Sure, athletically, he's wonderful, but it's, it's his charisma. It's his fun. For me, it's his likability. There's something about him that I just, I'm drawn towards Trick. I think he has it naturally. So to see Trick win it and then lose it again, like, look, I, I was delighted for him to see him have that moment. And then Dirty Dom goes and does Dirty Dom things on Tuesday night. 
Well, it's WWE, and anything that can happen likely will. The ride never ends, even if you are Trick Williams. But I echo all of the sentiments you just spoke, KP, about Trick. He was one of the superstars that really stood out most to me at No Mercy. The entrance was cool, and you had the whole arena bumping, whoop yeah. that trick, and Booker book with the ad-libs. Booker's <laughs> ad-libs are fantastic. He did it again on NXT this week. Yeah. Um, I think the sky truly is the limit for Trick Williams. And I think it's cool that he's been able to stand out on his own, not being in the shadow of Carmelo Hayes. I understand that's a hot button issue within the halls of NXT. But objectively speaking, the view from 30,000 feet where old CG sits, uh, I think there's plenty of reason to be excited about the future of Trick Williams. I get this vibe from Trick that he's very real. You've spoken to Trick off camera. Yeah. We, we know who Trick is and he's got this confidence, this quiet confidence, this swagger. Trick reminds me of a modern-day big personality pro athlete, almost like a Terrell Owens or a Deion Sanders or, or someone of that ilk who is really good and isn't afraid to let you know mm -hmm. how good they are. But if you're, on the, if you're on the ride with them, if you're on their team, you love it. You have all day. You can't wait to hear the catchphrases and the yeah. smack talk and the swag that Trick Williams uh, possesses, I think he's got a very, very bright future in WWE. And you talked about elevating championships being Seth freaking Rollins' goal. A man who has elevated the NXT championship in the past to new heights also very nearly became the Intercontinental Champion this past Monday on Raw. He is our guest at this time. He is none other than Tommaso Ciampa. Champa, first things first, welcome to After the Bell. KP and I have spent a good portion of the last 30 or so minutes pontificating about the greatness that was NXT No Mercy. I know NXT is still extremely near and dear to your black heart. Uh, what were your takeaways from this past Saturday? You know, so I actually stopped by the Performance Center yesterday, uh, and I, the vibe there and the energy, you know, it's... I don't want to say it, it's... It is. It's it's exactly what it used to be. It like it had it had a tough spin. You know, it had a tough time with 2.0, the adjustments, the color scheme changes, everything. The vibe was different for a while, and it's it's hungry again, and it's competitive again, and it's it's a team effort again. It was a really cool thing to see, and I, I kept saying that to everybody down there. Uh, you know, all the producers, head coaches, Sean, Matt, everybody, that crowd was as electric as anything I've ever seen for a yes. takeover. Like it was the first time watching where I was like, man, this is, this is the black and gold feel They they were crazy. And all these new talents and acts like have now stepped past that point of being new and they're mm -hmm. developed and they have character and they've got backstory and you can connect and, you know, just, to see it was cool to see it's cool to see Carmelo Hayes be a full package it's cool to see Trick Williams break out like crazy over the last few months uh Ilya Dragunov is next level uh I bumped into no him doubt. uh and he is full package ready to go you could toss that guy on a pay-per-view tomorrow and he's going to deliver uh it was just it was an awesome show awesome environment I completely agree I just said the same thing to KP and I actually compared it back to the days of the first NXT takeover Brooklyn the atmosphere, yeah. the vibe, and you you summed it up perfectly, the way that everybody's really coming into their own and becoming a definable era. I said there was the first generation, which was the first Brooklyn crowd, and then there was sort of your generation with right. yourself and Gargano and, and uh, Undisputed Era. 
which stands alone as a very definable era. And I feel like we're crossing over into a new era in NXT. And it's fun too, because this, this era for me is very similar to the first in the sense that we got to watch Sasha and Bailey and, and, and so many others develop. And then we got to be a part of their greatness when they went from like a little bit on the greener side, a little bit trying to figure out who they were. And then it was like, whoa, that Brooklyn match. I mean, always stands out to everybody with Sasha and Bailey. Right. So then our generation, when we came in from, you know, uh, Cesaro and Zane and KO to us and era and stuff, we kind of defined ourselves a bit more on the independent scene. Right. So by the time we got to NXT, you, were, you weren't seeing a finished product, but you were seeing a bunch of guys and girls out there who knew who they were. And now this new era, once again, we've got to watch like Braun Breaker develop. We got to watch Carmelo develop. So it, it's, I love that. I think it's fascinating to watch any talent go through the process. Like I think the process to me is just so freaking beautiful, like promo process, character process, in-ring work process. And we're watching that process. And then all of a sudden you get to see them on a big stage with a packed crowd full of energy. And you're like, oh, okay. Like I, you just know light bulbs are going off. Like, you know, that those they're hungry. Like I know that feeling. I, I know what it's like to be in front of 200 people weekly and then be like, all right, here we go. We got 10,000 people. Let's do this. Uh, so just awesome to watch. You know, I, I've heard so many stories from you, Corey, and, and from guests along the way about the, the trials and tribulations of breaking through, you know, 10 years ago versus what the young NXT superstars are given today, right? The facilities, the the trainers, everything that comes with it. But what you just said is fascinating, Champa, because are they in a tougher spot in a way when they're brand new to professional wrestling, some of them taken from different worlds, and they're showcased to the world in front of those bright lights and in front of hundreds of thousands or millions watching around the world on these on these premium live events and yet they're still quite raw in comparison to what you guys would have been it's it's choose your difficult you know uh it's yes their mistakes are being highlighted more and they're seen by more people and there's video recordings of it that are going to live forever so in that way absolutely more difficult but then there's also they're like you're getting a pretty good pay (laughs) Like you're living a pretty comfortable <laughs> life. You're getting trained by some amazing minds. You're in a facility with a medical staff and a strength coach uh, where when you're doing the independency and it's just, hey, I hope I get enough money to pay for my gas to get to the next town. And so, so it's, it's just choose your difficult, you know, um, more freedom maybe on the independence to explore, but a lot more perks too when you're with the biggest company in the world. Uh, so it, it, they're both, they're both tough. Neither is easy. Uh, it, but just kind of is what it is. Well, Champa, talk to us a little bit about your journey. Now, most of the WWE universe knows you, obviously, from Monday Night Raw or Friday Night SmackDown in the period of time you've been there. If they're familiar with NXT, they know about your long tenure as NXT champion, all the fantastic matches and moments you created there. But that was far from the beginning of Tommaso Champa's journey in this sports entertainment world. Talk to us about how it all began and, and where you first jumped off. Yeah, yeah, I feel like my story is so similar to most of the independent talent that comes up in the sense that you're a lifelong fan, you love it as a kid, you collect the figures, you get your own record book. Like that was that, those are my early memories. Like I'm playing Saturday morning, 
I got my own paper out there. I'm, I'm, I'm giving everybody, Tatanka's got a win-loss record. Bret Hart's got a win-loss record. We got colored markers to make sure we get color when needed. Yes, like, that's right. It, it had to be the washable markers, though, because I made be the wrong mistake yeah. a few times. Yeah, you get, especially if, if, you know, when mom suddenly decided, like, I'm going to give you one of those uh, wipes instead of just doing water to get it right. off. Now they're crystal clean again, and we can that's start right. the thing all over yeah. It's the typical story that I, I fell in love at first sight. It was larger than life characters. And it was, for me, it was like Hogan and Warrior and stuff. And then as I got more into the fandom of it, you start to lose some of the larger than life and start to relate more to Bret Hart and Sean and guys that, whoa, he's smaller and maybe I could right. do this type of thing. You know, it. I, I never had a falling out period. I just loved it, you know, and, and, I was also growing up in like the prime time to grow up as a wrestling fan. You went from being a Hulkamaniac to going to the Attitude Era. And like, it's just, of course, it just defined a lot of who I am now as a performer. Uh, but I, I loved it, you know, and I, I was lucky. I was by Killer Kowalski School. I grew up in Everett, Mass, right down the street from Malden, Mass. That's where his original school was. I would go there and uh, check out classes and stuff. I was ready to jump in at like age 15, 16. And uh, I don't know if you ever got to meet Walter, uh, but I never did. I never did. He, whew, still such an impression that he made on me. He's such a class act, like in a, in a business full of carnies, he's such a straight shooter. And I, I still remember distinctly, like he brought me in maybe age 16, 17. I just finished my junior year of high school and I would go all summer and watch classes and he would, he would sit with me, let me watch with him. He'd share all of his juicing recipes. He loved to juice uh, all the vegetables <laughs> and fruits. He gave me my first ever workout program, uh, which was just insanity. It was like a full body workout, you know, five sets of 20 of every big monstrous squat, deadlift, overhead press movement. And he just kept saying to me, hey, don't, don't sign up. Don't give me your money now. Go enjoy your senior year. And when you're done with that, he also, you know, kind of gave me the, the Iggy at the time. I, I'm a, my facility is about to move. At that time, he was about to be bought out by Chaotic Wrestling. So he, he was just such a class act, like in such a, just an honest guy. Could have just took my money easily. Just, you know, wait it out. And that's what I did. And as soon as I graduated, I, I spent my $500 graduation money on a purple van and started making the trek an hour back and forth to North Andover, which was Chaotic's training center. Uh, and what a class, Kofi Kingston, uh, Ivar, uh, and then quite a few others who didn't quite break out to this point, but Arch Kincaid's, if you're familiar, and uh, John Walters. Was I was going to say, was that a John fun. Walters class? Yeah, John. I was I was the class after John Walters, uh, Eddie Edwards, who's doing a ton of stuff at Impact. It, yep. The the guys in our group who came through the system, whether it was Killers or this guy uh, Mofo, uh, had a, had a school in New Hampshire. That scene at that time was exploding with talent, and it was like it was just nuts. So I was real lucky. I got to work with some awesome guys early on and, and learn Coach Hollow was, was Killer's hand-picked head trainer. Uh, and Coach Hollow is the best footstep fundamental coach in the business. He's, he's right. Him and Dr. Tom Pritchard are right there, hand in hand. They work together. It, it, was, it was awesome, man. Like I, I got in quick. I got in early. The system that I started at, too, uh, at that time, whole different world in wrestling. WWE, when they came to town, they'd go to specific schools, Harley's school, Killer's school, uh, 
there's a guy uh, out in New Jersey who had a school and they would, those would be the extras. You right. know, like, so if you went to that school, you kind of had this in, like, I know if I work hard here, impress these coaches, I'm going to get to be an extra. And that, that led me on a real fast track to WB. Uh, you know, for anyone out there listening who's not aware, I signed my first contract. I was 21 years old uh, and I went down to Kentucky and this was 2008, maybe something like it was 2007 or eight. It, it was early on. You were born in 85, Champa. Do the math. Come on. Yeah, I, I, it was it was fast. It was Kofi Kingston and I were were signed real fast. Kofi super fast. He was signed in less than a year. It took me a couple of years. Um, but it was just, that's what we, we were on this. Like it was, it felt like a college education. It felt like I went to a place where I said, Hey, if you want to be a doctor, you got to go to college. You got to go to graduate school. You got to go to medical school. You want to be a WB wrestler. You have to go to chaotic training center. You got to get your fundamentals, get your eight by 10, look good in your eight by 10, you know, make sure you have a suit, go to TV, shake hands, say hi, like be a, be, be a wallflower. It was, it was so systematic back then where now it's like, no, 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 go be a big star, get a mass following. Don't even care if it's in wrestling, just get, get a following, a social media following, a football following, something whole different world. Uh, so. Does that piss you off a little bit? No. Given that you are the pure grinder. Being at the performance center for whatever it was, five, six years, you definitely see a lot of that. You see a lot of like, I guess bitterness is a simple word, you know, so-and-so doesn't even know how to lock up. That's like, yeah, but so-and-so also learned how to market themselves and they learned so many tricks of the trade that sometimes, oftentimes as an independent wrestler, you completely overlook. Like I, I never understood how to market myself. I didn't know how to handle a, like a social media platform and how to get myself more views. I, that stuff, it, it was foreign to me at that time. Like I, I'm, I struggle opening the computer and figuring out like I Google Chrome. I don't know what that is. I don't understand it, you know? So it's silly to think that like, oh, that football player doesn't know anything about wrestling. Why are they here? Well, cause they excelled at football. If I could have excelled at football, I would have, I was a high school football player, you know, I wasn't good enough to go play college or pro or any of that. So to each their own, man, like every path is a grind. Uh, so for me, it's kind of like, it's awesome. Like bring everybody in. The people who are going to stick around are the people who are going to find a passion for the business. If you don't find a passion for the business, you might succeed, but you won't stick around, you know? So when you're as passionate as you are, obviously you're, you're used to, to a certain extent, being disappointed, being told no. How were you able to soldier on and continue despite all the setbacks you faced in your career, even prior to WWE? Uh, you know, there it's definitely in peaks and valleys. Uh, the, the, it's funny, as you go on, you learn. Peaks are never quite as high as you want them. The valleys feel lower than they, they really are. Mm -hmm. But you start to just grasp on to like, I, like a, a quote I tend to grab, uh, gravitate towards this. this too shall pass and it's something i've got familiar with in wrestling now i really apply it a lot more even in my home life i got a five-year-old daughter those good times never last as long as you want the good times to last and the bad times they're always going to move on like you're always going to get past this so you just got to grind that whether it's the injury i lost my job they said no to me they fired whatever you just always understand in that big picture of like hey 
this too shall pass. Like you are going to see the other end of this and it's your choice and how you're going to react to this situation of how you're going to come out the other end, you know, and that's always been a big thing for me. And also with wrestling, you know, the, the secret for me, it's not a secret by any means is I I freaking love it. And Mm -hmm. and if you love it, it's, it's, I'm not going to say it's easy to hear no and keep moving, but there's really not an alternative. Like I've, I've been fired by WB and I've been turned down by Japan and I've been told no at tryouts for impact. Like when I get the no, it's kind of, there's not really an option of like, I guess I'll quit. It's like, it's like, well, uh, I guess I'll find another way. Cause I, what else am I going to do? Like I, I, I can open a it. Corner. <laughs> you, know, I, you know, and I, like I was a pretty successful, uh, trainer personal trainer managed the studio had that going there was a point where i was like i guess i could stop doing the wrestling thing and do this full time when was that when was that point uh so specifically when i had left ring of honor uh and that was 2013 i think um so my contract was coming up and at that time ring of honor had a few people under salaries that were like this is going to pay your bills that a lot of us under uh, very small guarantees, you're free to do whatever else you want, but we're going to give you this 10000 a year, 15000 a year, whatever it is. Uh, and then they had other people pay by appearance. So I was uh, on, I was thinking, hey, I, I need to get out of this, this small guarantee. I got to get to a point where I can afford a living by doing this because I was at burning the, the stick and burning the candle, whatever, at both ends. I was training constantly opening the gym at 5 a.m., all that. Then weekends going to do the Ring of Honor, all that. Uh, so I, that contract came up and I had that discussion of like, hey, I, I need to have a full-time salary if I'm going to continue doing this. And at that time, they didn't see the worth in me. Uh, the owner, Sinclair, said essentially just flat out said to me, hey, like no one's going to pay you more than 20K, so it's take it or leave it. And it was like the light bulb moment for me of like, oh, like I thought – I thought we were negotiating. I didn't realize this was like, you don't even believe in me. And right. once you feel that, it, it makes the decision for you. Like, oh, I don't want to work for you. I don't need to prove you know, myself right to make you money. I'll prove myself right to make someone else money. Uh, and so I walked from them. And I, me and my wife had the discussion. At that time, we were preparing to buy a house, start a family, the whole thing. And it was kind of like, I basically said, give me one year, give me 12 months. And I, I, you know, you know, as a wrestler, when you're onto something at the end of my time in ring of honor, I felt a lot of light bulbs going off. A lot of things were clicking as far as how to tell a story in a ring, how to tell a story with a promo, how to get people to invest in me, my comfort level, my character and persona was starting to tip into that psycho killer thing. And I just felt like, damn, like, I can't believe they aren't seeing this because I can see it and I can hear it every time I walk out the curtain with crowds. Uh, so anyways, the, I leave ring of honor and uh, that next year things exploded. Um, I started going overseas a lot, England, Germany, Switzerland, Italy, everywhere. Uh, I, I got the tryout with WWE that led to us, uh, Johnny and I doing the Dusty Classic, which led to us getting some NXT exposure. I mean, that next year, like I suddenly was not only was I doing well in wrestling. I mean, three months maybe after I left Ring of Honor, I quit my job because I was go. like, "That's how you know." Money 
Yeah, it was it was a really crazy time. It was one of those. It was literally three months after I left them, and I got a, a huge tour offer. It was like a five week tour. And I was like, okay, well, I gotta take this tour, and then I couldn't obviously keep the job with them. So it just it was this insane year for me. I, I started using the Psycho Killer music, which really spoke to like my audience and connected us. And that merchandise was nuts. It was, it was, you know, also credit to the scene at the time. You know, we had the young, sure. guys. we had, you know, Kevin Owens, maybe it was just leaving it and, and uh, generico. It was just, it was just a booming period for independent wrestling. So. I often think about, oh, go ahead, Gabriel. No, I was just thinking about moments, moments like that, Champa, those breakthroughs after times of adversity, I can imagine, you know, looking back now, you probably have an awful lot of gratitude for someone like your wife, for the patience, you know, in you and the belief in you, because look, things are great when it's a good times, but it's in those bad times when you have someone who truly believes in you and in their heart and soul knows that you can do it. And then when you get that breakthrough, it's just, it's lovely to look back on, I'm sure. Is it? Yeah. You know, I've been lucky. My, since I was a kid, I never heard from my mom or dad, this is silly. It was always supporting, find your passion, chase your passion. You know, they got it. Uh, my wife was in the business prior. Uh, she was a backstage producer for a few years. So she really gets it. She gets the, the grind that we go through. She gets all the, all the crap that we go through. And it, she understands that there's a lot of down before there's an up. Uh, and yeah, it, it's awesome to have the support, the understanding. And you really, I found over... I think I've been doing 18 years now. I think if there's a secret ingredient for professional wrestling, it's confidence. Like you can see in a performer, it doesn't matter how good or what level they're at. I've seen it in the very best. I've seen it in AJ's and Seth Rollins. I've heard stories about Ric Flair and Shawn Michaels. If you start to self-doubt, things spiral. And if in those bad times, you can still say to yourself, no, man, I'm, I'm good at this. Give, give me the mic. Give me the time. Give me the main event. Give, give me that opportunity. If, if you can find that and keep that, you're, you're just going to, you're going to succeed. You know, it's, it's the secret ingredient. How, how were you able to utilize that secret ingredient when you jumped from NXT where you had seemingly limitless success as one of the faces of the brand to come to the main roster and not necessarily have the same opportunities or opportunities of the same magnitude presented to you for quite some time. Yeah. So, you know, I'm lucky at this point I, I've been through it. If, if this happened 10 years ago and I got called up prior to the NXT success, I, I think it would have been short lived. I likely would have been released by now because I, the self doubt would have crept and all that. I, for me, my whole career, I always felt, I was never the guy on the independent scene who had like the promoter fly in the top names for them to wrestle. Mm -hmm. I was never the guy who somebody based their company around. I didn't get many world titles and accolades like that, you know, uh, or, you know, I say world title loosely. It's an independent company. Sure. Sure. World but title. It, in that that. Yes, of course. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I always had this, this chip on my shoulder of like, man, I think if I got a chance, I've got a lot of ideas, a lot of creative. I write a lot of notes in my phone. If somebody gives me an opportunity one of these days, I'm going to freaking take this thing and explore new territories that haven't been seen. 
I got so damn lucky that that just happened to happen in NXT. <laughs> like of all the places I've been, I, I'm okay with Ring of Honor and New Japan and everybody going, eh, we don't see it. Because Hunter saw it and Hunter gave me the shot. And uh, then it went so damn well for me when I had the turn on Johnny, my heel persona, Blackheart winning the title, that I think doing it and having it go so well, there, there was never a moment where I could say, oh, he'd have done it better if he got that shot, or oh, is this good? Like I hadn't, I was on a whole different planet in my mind of, of performance and in such a zone that now that that's happened, it's silly for me to then, I can't backtrack. I can't just go, oh, I mean, I'm just in these three minute matches and I'm losing and I'm not getting promo time. I must not be good. Like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> I'm really freaking good. If you just, I have no control over it though. Like you control what you control and you can't let the stuff out of your control start to diminish like your self-worth. But that sounds like direct opposition from a story we've heard many times over where they, people maybe don't have the confidence at that point, and it does happen. You you called you said if it happened to you yeah, ten years ago, you would have crumbled. We hear I would say more often than not, a lot of people have trouble with that transition, whether it be from NXT to the main roster or a, a foreign company to America or whatever that may be. Uh, so you're sort of living proof that belief holds a lot of water. I, I think it is, and I think I got I got into so much of. Um controlling the mindset i mean so like my story i don't think is too secretive to people uh especially people who follow my career like i've dealt with quite a bit of depression in my life and my coping mechanism because i don't believe somebody i don't believe you defeat depression i just believe you learn how to cope with it you learn how to you learn your triggers so you can avoid those triggers and then you learn the things that help you grow out of uh, so I say that because over the course of my entire adult life, I've had to learn that I've had to, that's not something that someone taught me. I've had to learn, you know, these podcasts help or, or how to control your mindset. I'm going to read this book about, you know, the, just that, that power of thought. So I'm really big into that, uh, especially as a, a parent of a five-year-old and stuff like that's something that I, I, it's in every part of my life now. So because of all of that, like for me, it's, I don't think anyone's ever going to be able to break my confidence as a performer again, because I, I always know, and I, this last Monday is a perfect example. I always know. So I walk into Monday Night Raw and I got a contract signing and I got main event, my first time ever doing that for an intercontinental title. And I know that I'm going to have to walk out in front of San Jose and get this crowd to buy in because I haven't been for the last year and a half. I've not been painted in a picture to them Correct. where it is viable that I can beat Gunther for the intercontinental title. Right. You were a long shot. Not even a long shot, <laughs> a, a, a zero shot for real. You know, I, I know I'm a realist. So th that's that moment where you just got to go like, all right, am I going to be a woe is me? And oh crap, I got, all these things stacked against me, this isn't going to work? Or do I go out there and just go, hey, if I believe in me in this promo and I make sure that they know that I believe in me and that I want that title and that title means the world to me, worst case scenario, they're going to respect that. Worst case scenario, you know, best case scenario, they're going to start to buy in and be like, this son of a, 
damn it, this guy is passionate. This guy's intense. This guy's for maybe he does have a shot. And then there's a little physicality. And then when I walked out for the main event, I crowd was a little bit better than they were for the contract signing. But still, there was that little bit of like, let's go Gunther, Gunther sucks. I'm like, okay, you keep grinding and keep showing them in your face, in your body language, in your your intensity that uh, this isn't just the Gunther show tonight. And by that last seg, I, you know, I, I heard them coming up and this is awesome and Champa and whatever it be. And there's a beauty to that, man. I mean, me and Sami Zayn has talk, have talked about this in the past. You lose that ability as you become a more established performer in WWE, that ability and that opportunity to go out in front of a crowd who's not too familiar with you and to earn them. And that was my favorite thing to do in the independent scene, specifically after leaving Ring of Honor and having that like bet on yourself. It's you against the world. I loved going to towns and cities that barely knew who I was, maybe heard my name a couple of times. And at the end of the night, getting that, now I'm selling you my merchandise. Now you're following me. Now you're a fan for life. So that was the opportunity presented to me Monday. I'm going to go tell San Jose, California, who the hell I am. I'm going to get to do it in the, uh, on the microphone, in the ring. I'm going to get to do it on a main event scene with an opponent who I know is ready to hang. So uh, that's, a, that's a beautiful thing, man. That's, that's like the art. Yeah, it definitely is. And, and you accomplished the mission, knowing that that was your goal that night, knowing, okay, hey, maybe I'm not going to get this job done in that respect, but they are going to know my name at the end of the night. I don't think anybody would disagree that you accomplished that mission, but your unsuccessful bid to become intercontinental champion was not without a bit of a silver lining uh, in the closing moments of Monday night raw, a reunion of sorts, your longtime pal slash tag team partner, Johnny Gargano back in the fold. I've seen you on social media, the missing Johnny posters. Uh, Your man is back by your side. How did that feel? uh, Even in defeat to, to see that old friend come back, come to your aid at the end of the night. Uh, so, unfortunately, I know that the the feed cut a little bit before the the finale of it. You know, hitting. Yeah, the, I was desperate to know what happened afterward. <laughs> yeah, you know, hitting meeting in the middle and stuff. I think for me, this the silver lining to it to not only having him back, but the cool thing for both of us was so DIY really never got going on the main roster. You know, right. We had a couple matches a couple of years back. I don't know that many people would even remember that, uh, and it's never been talked about. I came up, I was doing stuff with the Miz and, and, and I got that little bit of a rub with the U S title opportunity. And then I had to go away for surgery. By the time I'm gone, Johnny's coming up, he's doing his own thing. So together there's been no tease for DIY. So the fact that Johnny could come out and San Jose could be chanting DIY and give the reaction they gave when we hugged. And then after the show ended, you know, um, we even got on the mic quickly. And just when I shouted the we are, to have the whole place saying DIY. It was one of those moments where I was like, wait, like we've done nothing to train you people. In one night, we tried to build me as a viable contender. And then we just brought Johnny out. No build, no expectation. So to have that crowd react and to go, oh, we know that they're called DIY. That to me was like a big success because it was like, okay, well, shoot, that's with nothing. That's with no machine behind us, with no anything. I feel like if if we start to go now, 
and they start to see us on a weekly basis together, whether it be backstage promos and interactions because we can have a lot of fun that way or matches where we get some time because that's that's really what DIY was in NXT. It was these two dudes thrown together and this, it wasn't like the rocket ship was <laughs> was strapped to us by any means. It was just... You, keep, you did what you do. You went out doing. and forced the fans to pay attention and you earned their respect and their admiration, which is why DIY truly is an apropos name for the two of you. Yeah, it's 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 cool, man. It's and it's funny because we'll always do that. Like you know, in NXT, we would always do. We are NXT, and we always would do it with DIY. We are DIY because it is this group effort. It's like the fans are the reason. When we came to NXT, we didn't have contracts. We were just these two guys. Oh, we'll give them some extra work, and we'll see if it gets over. And then it got over, and it's the fans who turned us into what we've become. So we have this real good relationship with our niche audience. And now the goal is to say, okay, well, now there's this global audience, this main roster audience that just is bigger and, and crazier and beyond our imagination. How do we now get them to buy in? Because that's what we need. We need them to buy in. We need them right. to grasp that we can win the titles and we can be main eventers. Uh, so I'm excited for it. I'm excited for the possibilities. I'm excited for the fresh matchups. We've never done stuff with New Day and Viking Raiders and now Imperium's got the ball rolling pretty deadly. It's all new. Uh, so it's just, it's a cool time. KO and Sami Zayn uh, is obviously a dream match that I see a lot of people bring up on the internet. There's just a lot of possibilities. And, uh, you know, that's obviously for anyone who's a performer, but still a fan. That's fun. That's exciting, you know? This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Technique with Tom. Slicing an English muffin with a butter blade? Boulder Dash. Just pull apart with your hands and marvel in the nooks and crannies splendor. For each one is unique like a snowflake. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise. But if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA, I make calls, I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it, you can work out in it, you can go outside, you can go shopping down in your local wherever, and you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. Jedi are being murdered. Now streaming, Star Wars Returns, only on Disney+. Plus. I didn't do it! Believe me! She was my student. Let me be the one to bring her in. Now she's a student of the dark side. An acolyte. Star Wars The Acolyte. New episodes Tuesdays, only on Disney+. Plus. 
it sounds like there are plenty of reasons for Tommaso Ciampa to be excited within the WWE universe. Plenty of reasons to be excited for DIY and the future. Potentially another showdown with the ring general. Champa, I challenge you, though, it doesn't sound like it's going to be a problem. Keep that perspective, man, that mentality you have that brought you to this point. Hearing you explain it out loud resonated with me, and I'm sure it's resonating with a lot of people listening or hopefully a couple people with big dreams listening to ATB looking to uh, populate the PC in the future. Where can the uh, After the Bell listeners find you on social media? I should I should know that off the top of my head. Uh, oh, come on, Champa. <laughs> I'm going to look it up really quick. He did quick. start the interview by saying he's terrible yeah, yeah. with social media. So I'm marketing. Assistant, if nothing else. Instagram, Champa WWE. I didn't know which way it went. Champa, it says C-I-A-M-P-A, WWE. I think it's the same on Twitter. I don't really use the Twitter thing as much. So X, X, I guess that's what we do now. I don't do TikTok. I mean, honestly, if you follow my Instagram, you're going to see me and my kiddo going to Disney and stuff. So I'm... <laughs> follow me get some exercise tips you're gonna get more real and a little less uh you know i'm gonna beat you up one day behind the scenes head to instagram if you want champa beating people up just uh watch raw or smackdown I think yeah they great. handle that really well for me <laughs> right on well champa you're always welcome here on atb thank you for the time make sure you're following us at after the bell wwe on twitter instagram and facebook you can find me at wwe graves you can find Kev at Kev underscore Egan. That's E-G-A-N. Listen for F-R-E-E. Wherever you get your podcast, just search after the bell and hit the follow button so you never miss an episode. Full episodes of ATB are available each and every Monday on the official WWE YouTube channel. And we'll be back next week with more wisdom, more vitriol, fast lane fallout, and more WWE after the bell. Like what you hear? Catch full episodes of After the Bell wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us now and never miss an episode.